and welcome to Darker Days Radio, episode 28. Tonight, I'm joined by Chris. How are you, Chris? Hello, I'm good, as always. Yeah, things are great. How are you? Pretty good. Forgot to introduce myself. My name's Mike. Hi. All right, so we've got a... Uh, Interesting episode tonight because Mark, uh, some family stuff came up, so he had to take care of that instead. So we're having another filler, flying by the sea of our pants kind of episode. <laughs> but I think it's yeah. going to be pretty good. We'll be discussing storytelling and, yeah, storytelling. Cool. So I guess first thing to start with is White Wolf News. Yep, let's go hop on over to that segment. So, for White Wolf News, they've been putting out some new products lately. Um, <clears throat> First off, on DriveThruRPG, we found the Fear Maker's Promise compilation, which is a PDF bundle, and it's also a uh, softcover POD product that you can pick up uh, in stores. It's got the uh, Fear Maker's Promise SAS, the Rose Bride's Plight SAS, and the pre-made Changeling characters. Now, Chris, you said that you've checked out uh, Rose Bride's Plight, correct? Uh, yeah, um, it's quite a cool thing to uh, make use of, and I think it's useful beyond Changeling itself. It's a bit different as far as many of the other uh, SAS products they've put out. Jess Hartley is the writer behind it, and she starts off with a discussion of how you put together a murder mystery and how that influences the structure of the story you are telling. So in a normal... SAS, you have a kind of a, a, a number of different scenes that are strung together. In the uh, Rose Bride's plight, it's more nebulous, the, and so you have numerous different connections between these scenes. And the way you get between one scene to another is, depends upon the players following a certain course of questioning. So in that way, it, it fully emulates a murder mystery game that you might play as a dinner party game with friends. So um, I really like it, and I think it can be you could take that model and um, apply it to really any of the uh, World of Darkness games. I, I think they should do more like that. They're um, quite great. And of course, there's the Forsaken Chronicler's Guide, which now has all four parts out and uh, available. I have not read any more of that since talking to David Hill, so I should probably get on that. But uh, definitely looks cool, and people seem to be really enjoying it. And it's bringing a lot of activity to the Werewolf of the Forsaken community, so that's always great. Ah, cool. And next up, uh, they actually put out for Free RPG Day a 66-page booklet called Nightmare on Hill Manor, which is really outstanding, because uh, it has a very good summary of the new World of Darkness rules. I... Was astounded by how much of the rules were in there. Mm -hmm. Yep, there's loads. And then it's got a story in there and pre-made characters. So it's really everything you need all in one place, which is just just great, astounding. As I said before, it's a really cool, creepy little story. Um, again, it's it's quite a tight little story. Um, 
taking place within just a single location. I think when I had a brief look through through it, um, it was kind of reminiscent of some of the better uh, stories in, say, um, in ghost stories. Uh, in mm-hmm. particular, say, the terrible tale of the of uh, James Magnus, which is a particular favourite. So it has the same kind of vibe as that. Um, so you could easily play it in a in a single session, I think. Um, and I'm sure I will make use of it in my own games as well. Cool. Yeah, looking through it, I just had one complaint. And okay. that's one of the characters had Kung Fu. Ooh. Just come on. I mean... Actually, that's one of my main complaints with the World of Darkness core book. There doesn't seem like there's enough merits for a regular person. There's a bunch of combat merits. There's a bunch of, like, just really, like, over-the-top merits. But there's not enough you just want, like, a kind of regular schmo, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's... I would have to agree with that. Because you're kind of... You look at the list of merits, and then you're kind of forced to taking these things that are a little bit too you know, not run-of-the-mill, and really the fun of playing World of Darkness is playing a bunch of mundane people where they're all going to die, quite frankly. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's especially difficult. I mean, you say it's difficult. It's it's even more difficult if you're, say, wanting to run a Mortals game set in the UK, and suddenly all those firearms merits are really kind of useless. Yeah, that's very true. And beyond that... We've got uh, V20. Hey, Chris, did you get V20? Uh, no, I I didn't have the money for it. And, um, yeah, I'm playing too much New Order Darkness. Oh, that's, that's I'm fine. sure I'll pick up the PDF at some point. Um, yeah. <laughs> I understand. Good thing uh, Mark picked it up. Right? Yeah, wherever he is. Yep, yep good, <laughs> good. He can tell us all about it. I think I think the thing that I've got my eye on getting is uh, numerous books for um, Vampire The Dark Ages. So, you know, I mostly have to end up having the uh, V20 PDF just to have certain uh, bits of information in that or rules which would be useful for just doing Dark Ages Vampire. Mm, that's true. Yeah, it's gonna be, it is going to be cleaning up the system, which would be very good. And it's going to have yes. new rules for the salubri and uh mm-hmm. they're, they're disciplined the obia has changed a lot yeah so there's good yeah there's it'll be a good cleanup and um you know i've already got the vampire the uh vampire the dark ages core book so mm-hmm. yeah v20 just to use it to clean up the system because even vampire the dark ages was a bit had various issues with its own rules yeah yeah i gotcha Anyway, let's uh, move on over to the mailbag segment. Whoa, you forgot an item. I did? Oh, I did. The unknown. Yeah, well, it's not in the show notes. <sighs> okay, um, Glimpses of the Unknown. Uh, it just came out yesterday. I have not purchased it or read it. Uh, it's 50-page PDF for $7 US, which is yeah. you know, a pretty good deal compared to uh, other white wolf prices so uh chris have you checked it out i'm not i haven't yet but i'm i'm definitely in the mood for uh picking it up because it has stuff for all of the world of darkness so i need to i need to have it it has 
story seeds and plot lines for every World of Darkness line. It has new rules, new merits, new powers, and setting material, and even has ideas to do um, linked with um, customization of World of Darkness. Uh, so there's more rules for Innocence and Mirrors. Yeah, I was pretty astonished by that. I mean, it's interesting because it talks about, um, in its description, it talks about that some monsters reject the classifications we attempt to brand them with. So I think, again, it's it's a book of rules tweaks to, um, again, just keep World of Darkness fresh and... Uh, fresh and strange and mysterious for the players yeah definitely uh i'm interested in uh seeing some more like information about it because as it stands right now it just seems like it's a random smattering of rules for well pretty much everything from promethean mm. to geist to to innocence yeah it's a big big book of everything and if unless you play everything and have most books for everything then you know it may not be the type of thing to go out and buy it i don't know it could have been it could have been nice maybe if they they may do it they may break it up into individual kind of you know one dollar segments for each of the game lines but mm. you know first of all sell it as a whole compendium to begin with so we'll see what happens with that but i'll yeah i'll tell you about it when i've got it which will be as of well, i think tomorrow because i get paid <laughs> all right great so now let's move over to the mailbag segment so uh we got a lot of mail following the uh, last couple episodes and we're not going to cover all of it because that would just take up too much time but uh, there's a few key things that came up first off laughing hyena left a comment on our podbean site about all of the werewolf fiction because she's read all of it oh yeah yeah in particular it was mentioned that most of the harper collins stuff is terrible except for werewolf watcher that one is uh it takes place in the the gaming convention that fenris uh loris ray mentioned in the previous rage episode that's supposed to be a pretty good one and the the tribe novels are very good. It's a seven novel series covering each of the uh, 13 werewolf tribes and the Black Spiral dancers in uh, a series of novellas. And in particular, the tribe novel Uktena is supposed to be very good. Uh, cool. Yep. And other than that, the novel Silver Crown, which uh, Fenris again mentioned, uh, is supposed to be great. So it's good to see that they're in agreement in regard yeah. to the werewolf novels and yeah, definitely check it out if you're interested. What else have we got then in the mailbag? Well, uh, we also got a message from LifeTap, who's actually an EVE player who wants to dig into the lore of the World of Darkness. And you know, I, I mentioned to him that source books are the best way to get into it because uh, they contain all the information. But he was a bit more interested in fiction. So yeah, uh, kind of like we mentioned in the uh, the world of darkness fiction episode i recommended for old world vampire you should check out predator and prey vampire by mm -hmm. carl bowen and for new world of darkness i recommended a hunger like fire by greg stolze yes good and finally uh fanboy left us a message recommending the dresden files for 
New World of Darkness inspiration. And I have to say, live on the air, I completely disagree. I have no idea about the Dresden Files, I'll be utterly honest there. I've not watched the series, not picked up the books. Um, yeah, so give me some insight on... I, I understand a little about what it's about, um, but what's so bad about the novels then, would you say? Bad about the novels? They're great! They're oh, hysterical! Right, okay. Uh, you're saying they just don't fit World of Darkness in theme. Precisely. Harry Dresden is, he's a wizard, a, uh, a professional yeah. wizard. He's got his office that says he's a professional wizard. But he's really, he's kind of like Spider-Man if he was a wizard. You know, he cracks jokes during battle and things never go right for him. He's that kind of it's, a character. Yeah, a bit too, yeah, from what you're saying, it's a bit too lighthearted. I mean, if I was to suggest anything for... Uh, something in in that vein for World of Darkness, I'd be looking at like say Hellblazer, you know the John Constantine um, comics because oh, yeah, they're yeah. not the well the film's useful but maybe not as useful because it's judo Christocentric. But again, it's it's maybe a bit darker than Dresden Files then, mm-hmm. and fits World of Darkness better. Cool. But uh, if you are looking for some pretty good uh, kind of urban fantasy sort of fiction um mm. it's definitely very good uh first novel is stormfront so you might want to check that out and what else do we have in the mailbag then uh that's just about it um, as i mentioned before we had plenty of messages and uh i think we're going to be covering some of the some of the ideas presented to us in future episodes and uh storyteller segments and the like so definitely stay tuned in the future and with that, Chris, I think we should move on over to the secret frequency. Oh, yeah. It's under the stairs. <laughs> Tonight, we present the death of William Mackenzie and the strange structure surrounding it. Mackenzie lived from 1794 to 1851, working much of his life as a construction contractor throughout Europe, designing canals in Liverpool and Glasgow, as well as railways throughout the country. Before his death, Mackenzie contracted the construction of a stone tomb unlike any other in England, and it still stands to this day. The structure is in the shadow of a decayed church whose roof collapsed over 30 years ago, and the plaster is worn, revealing the cracked brick walls. It stands in a cemetery, dwarfing the weed-strangled headstones of less flamboyant characters. This tomb is a four-sided pyramid constructed of basalt, a black sea stone, standing over 12 feet above the ground. On each side, Only a few yards away is a tall, black obelisk with an inscription on its base. While everything surrounding the pyramid seems to be in disrepair, the structure seems untouched. Only the copper crest has corroded, losing its sheen and turning a pale green. Local legend purports that Mackenzie, a notorious gambler, had made a pact with the devil to win a game of cards in exchange for his soul. Mackenzie 
seeking to save himself later, had himself buried not in the ground, but standing up straight in his pyramid tomb, holding the same winning hand of cards. The legacy of William McKenzie provides a number of plot hooks for your World of Darkness game. Perhaps it wasn't the devil, but one of the fae who made a pact with the enigmatic engineer. Perhaps the tomb is reinforced by cold iron, and his keeper is held at bay. Now, strangely enough, William Mackenzie never even went to Egypt, and he died before the sort of Egyptology craze swept through the Victorian aristocracy. So why did he build a pyramid? Perhaps he was a ghoul in the employ of a Setite, opposed to Prince Mithras of London. His tomb may actually be a passage to the unfinished Liverpool tunnels still below the city. Perhaps William was embraced a vampire and sleeps within the tomb in Torbor. Now, surely no sane kindred lies so unprotected, but what if he's Tremere? His thaumaturgical rituals will keep the mortals away, and the pyramid structure serves as a warning to his fellow canines. And what about the new World of Darkness Tremere? Could William Mackenzie have made a pact with one of the soul-sucking liches? Perhaps the pyramid was constructed on a locus with a spiritual energy forming an invisible barrier between the stone obelisks. And finally, why a pyramid? In modern culture, it is a symbol associated with evil. From pyramid schemes, to mummy movies, to being an Illuminati symbol on the dollar bill. Is William Mackenzie's tomb a, a symbol or something far more diabolical? You decide. So that was submitted by Jay Malkavian on the old WGPRN forums. Uh, luckily, we saved this article uh, submission so that we could you know, use it later in a secret frequency like this. So, Chris, uh, do you have any ideas about this? Or could you shed any more light on spookiness in Liverpool? Ah, uh, well, with a brief search, as you said, you mentioned Liverpool's uh, strange tunnels constructed by a uh, Joseph Williamson around about the same time. Um, so the idea of it being some sort of entrance into the uh, caverns below is quite cool, a nice idea there. Um, but really, what what would they have used the tunnels for even why was this pyramid constructed the idea that he was um that Mackenzie was um was buried sitting at a card table holding a perfect hand um is that's such a great image that can be used in so many ways um the first thing that springs to mind that may be applicable is um a character in uh, a small sas supplement for Geist the Sin Eaters, which was um, uh, let me, Dead Man's Hand, which is a to do with that with uh, a ghost and gambling for people's uh, souls. Hmm. So you can go down that route. And of course, a, a wonderful pyramid-like construction like that would be a wonderful gateway to the underworld. Be it you, you know you're oh, playing yeah, yeah. Geist, or if you're playing um, playing Wraith, even. Um, it could be one of those, uh, um, what they call the the Avernian gates in Geist. As you say, it could be sat on a on a locus. Um, 
uh, or it could also be um, a powerful uh, uh, dragon's nest if it was a if you're playing uh, Vampire the Requiem and your character is an Ordo Dracul and hmm. realizes that this tomb is the perfect place to uh, perform a chrysalis so they can gain control over their body and further their coils of the dragon. Um, you mentioned the Tremere of Old World of Darkness and that Im- immediately made me think about the I'm trying to remember the full name of the bloodline of vampires in Requiem the architects of the monolith I believe Yes, you are correct. Yep, and they're the ones that um that have to do with you know making modern structures and using the the structure of the city uh, for their own purpose. And so, again, it could be related to that. It could well be the tomb of uh, one of those vampires, and they sleep there at night. Hmm. What else would I? What else comes to mind? Um, the design of it. Um, maybe he. It's related to Mummy: The Resurrection. Something really simple like that. It could well be a place where, um, uh, again, another a gateway into the duat, to, uh, and so where uh, resurrected mummies can come, go back and forth uh, to replenish their soul. Um, trying to think of another other thing that I was going to say. Then uh, I was also along the same line. Um, maybe it's a place. Of uh, learning and a, fo- and a focal point for Prometheans, especially for the uh, Asiren uh, lineage of Prometheans, um, which would explain the the whole pyramid structure before the pyramid mm. craze. I like that one a lot, actually. That's very good. Yeah. Um, even worse would be if it was an um, it's a uh, Assyrian Pandoran asleep. Mm-hmm. So the entire yep. pyramid is a Pandoran waiting to wake up. That would be ultra creepy. Um, <laughs> Definitely. Um, or it could well be the tomb of a... I was going to say a tomb of a Seers of the Throne. This is a physical manifestation of the Iron Pyramid, the the very structure of power the Exarchs have over reality and humanity. Um, and it remains there because it is forever being. It's maybe a, a linchpin in the cage of reality. And... Um, it's up for the Atlante mages to recognize it for what it is and use it against the Exarchs. It may well even be a gateway to the higher realms. Or what other games could be playing? <laughs> I think that kind of covers my uh, my brief uh, idea uh, diarrhea there. It's all spilled out of my brains for you to uh, play with. Um, you got any other ones then? Mike? Not particularly, but I was trying to think of how you can actually really put this into your game. It's it's definitely a bit of an enigma, a mystery for your characters to explore. But uh, I think we're actually getting some kind of interesting ideas on how it could be a, a base of operations. Maybe perhaps there's uh, a further structure below it where, yeah. as you mentioned, there could be a Promethean, which is kind of fits because there's all these decayed buildings around it. It's not a place that people tend to go to. It's also mm-hmm. considered one of the most haunted sites in Liverpool, apparently. So uh, people cool. do tend to stay away from it. Um, yeah, if you're going to say a base of operations, again, look at the structure of it. It could be beneath. It could be um, the location for where a, a, a seer of the throne's pylon meets and organizes. Um, or um, I was going to say with regard to... Mage again, it could be 
a mundane representation of a of a gateway to a temple of Atlantis. Um, you know, the the very cage of reality the Exarch created uh, means that many of the old temples are kind of hidden and look rather mundane. And it may well be this this pyramid is actually a lot far older than it appears to be. Um, or maybe the gateway was just being wait was waiting to be made uh, by Mackenzie. Um, you know, a bit of time magic uh, could have been involved. Um, and then the card games thing again, like as you said, with the the idea of um, of one of the Fae being involved with this uh, this kind of pledge, um, this this pact, which of course Mackenzie had a good way of. Uh, getting out of maybe it's the river uh, were you saying that it was a that the tomb could have been a place for Mackenzie to be safe away from the fae could well be a, one of the fae is trapped within within the structure mm, that's a good turn on it yeah yeah I mean then, and then you get into the fact that there are uh, there may well be you know however however many other pyramid structures are there like it um like it around the world which are not Egyptian in their origin and when I say not Egyptian in the origin they're they're not overtly influenced by Egypt well interestingly enough there's actually some uh, pyramids that look just like this these small tomb pyramids uh, called Deir el Medina mm. uh, I'm not sure exactly where they're where they are but they look very similar, so it's possible that uh, William Mackenzie maybe perhaps had a vision, let's say, uh, of these tombs and then created one in its likeness for himself. Well, if you want to go down that route, you could kind of play, uh, you could you could pull that all together to create a, a story very similar to the one that they present in, again, going back to Mage, The Awakening, in the back of uh, the Boston Unveiled book, there's a whole storyline of the... What's the name of the, the demon? Prince of the Hundred Thousand Leaves? Yes, and you know how he's... Uh, it's all about um, an alt... That's about the idea of an alternate history that could have been played out. And every mm -hmm. time there's any form of this magic done with uh, pieces of this book, which shouldn't be, more and more of that history comes into being. And that's where all these creatures come from. They're coming from this alternate timeline, this alternate reality. Um, an idea I had, um, which I may still, still uh, may well use for Geist, if I run Geist based in New York, is the idea of a, of a, um, that was to do with a ghostly mage, but you can still use the idea that, it, that these, all these similar pyramid tombs are actually all part of a, um, of a grand plan over time, so that, that when they're all put in place, an idea of an alternate geography of the world comes to being this, uh, you know, this abyssal um, reflection of our world. So you know, each time one of these tombs is created or perfected, we're one step closer to some dramatic cataclysm occurring and that brings us more into line with this other reality where horrible um you know imbecil creatures uh exist and every time these tombs are created or tinkered with or uh, damaged these creatures you know breach into our reality that sounds pretty out of control yeah <laughs> my whole idea for geist was basically having a mad uh, ghostly mage 
because you can have ghostly mages and mage the awakening so hmm. you know why not for any game have a ghostly mage and they're you know they're still working towards their goal and i thought that was a perfect antagonist for for geist and it could be a perfect antagonist in say a game like orpheus or uh, or in wraith or anything really where the characters are able to deal with ghosts you know that this mage is trying to cause a series of of catastrophic events that would cause um Mido was kind of like a uh, eastern seaboard um, kind of San Francisco fault line occurring. So as I say, this, uh, hmm. the idea of an alternate reality, I thought of uh, an alternate timeline. I thought of the an alternate geography because I was working on the idea of what would a demon do that wasn't linked with time but linked with matter do. And it would want to adjust the world in a more material sense to fit itself rather than adjust the timeline. To fit itself it wouldn't be that hard either there's a fault line running right down where the connecticut river is yeah or you could do something more crazy which is the island off the coast of um there's an island off the coast of africa which um half the island is basically barely held on and hmm. if it fell away it would that half the island would fall down such a sheer drop that the amount of water it would displace would cause a tsunami in the atlantic so, <laughs> uh, yes, yes, I'm familiar with that. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we're getting a bit away from the uh, original secret frequency Tunes. topic. Yeah. So, I, I guess we'll be done with this segment and move on to whatever we're going to call this next segment, which is Gothic Storytelling. World of Darkness 2.0. So, what is. Yeah gothic fiction chris i'm just wondering what you're going to say to the to this question what is gothic fiction i would say of my understanding is fiction that features and revels in the darker si darker sides and elements of the world society and the way we live so rather than be repulsed by horrible things that happened or 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 be i guess to me the best example of gothic is you see the beauty in something as it's decaying which is why in some respects maybe one of the most gothic places you could say uh, many places in europe again one of my favorite places which is again quite gothic i would say is is venice i mean the beauty is watching the place decay and that imagery features heavily within gothic stories and are a physical manifestation for what is going on to the characters within those stories which is they are some way being the the stories about the maybe even the beauty of their corruption or or um or their descent their fall oh. so that's what i see with gothic yeah, actually, that's that's a pretty good description of it. Um, <laughs> speaking from a bit of a historical standpoint, Gothic literature originally was kind of an offshoot of the Romantic literature, mm. which had started up in around the Renaissance. I believe the the first like real Gothic novel uh, considered Gothic is the Castle of Otranto which uh, I've listened to as an audiobook. I would recommend checking it out that way because you can get it for free in the public domain. Oh, and cool. it's really hard to read because the old-timey English, but it's a bit easier to listen to someone say it 
it's easier to follow that way. Now, these early Gothic stories were typically about the hero saving the princess, basically. It was very similar to what you see in romantic fiction. But the hero would, uh, would say, be assaulting this uh, devilish castle and would, would, would encounter these very dangerous challenges that would uh, shake his faith and shake his, his own morality. Now, uh, as we go later down the road with, with Gothic literature, instead of being able to save the princess, sometimes he fails. Sometimes he has to give up. And you start exploring this even darker side to the characters. You can see that become even more pronounced when the more supernatural elements come into Gothic literature later on with uh, the likes of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and with, with Dracula and all these others where you have the anti-heroes, you have uh, the, the very flawed protagonists opposing those uh, those anti-heroes. So, yeah, I think your, your description is pretty good and even, even fits with the, uh, the historical context. Now, how does this affect the world of darkness? And what I think we're going to be looking at is, is starting off with the very early editions of, say, Vampire the Masquerade, and then looking as everything progresses, and then goes on to the new world of darkness. Mm. So, just looking at, say, first edition Vampire, its its influence from Gothic literature is pretty pronounced. Uh, for example, in A World of Darkness, the 1992 source book, Count Zaroff is one of the NPCs in the book. And Count Zaroff is actually a fictional character from the short story, The Most Dangerous Game. Uh, he is the lord of this island where he hunts animals, and growing bored with that, he hunts people. And this sailor gets shipwrecked on the island and is eventually hunted by the Count. And you can also see uh, gothic figures being brought in. For example, John Dee, the uh, sorcerer from the Elizabethan court, is another yes. such character. In, in Vampire the Masquerade First Edition, you've got the, the very gothic elements just being taken wholesale from existing fiction and literature. And then you also have the punk elements, which I feel were much more injected by the young misfits over at White Wolf uh, as they were writing these books. Yeah, I think that's quite telling of, of when um, Vampire the Masquerade was written and you know, maybe the, the people at the time, you know, the age that they were when they were writing it. Um, I think it comes across with that. So do we want to say something then about how we want to say something then how, how the punk elements and the gothic elements really combining Vampire the Masquerade? Because that really, that really sets the tone then for the rest of the world of darkness doesn't it well i think that i'm not even sure how much they really combine because for the very very straight up punk elements you have let's say the anarchs and then more gothic comes mm. in with the the camarilla with the the uh, elders who lord over their uh, mortal and uh, immortal subjects if you will so they really are kind of separate in many ways. Yes. I, mostly the younger are the punks, and then you get more gothic with the older, uh, is how I'd typically say it, especially with earlier 
Vampire mm. the Masquerade. We're saying like first and second edition. Well, the important thing is, I think the the gothic and the punk rep are at two different ends of the same thing. So the gothic element in Vampire the Masquerade is kind of like the the old things that have survived into and are decaying and still decaying and exist in this dying age because of course Vampire the Masquerade has the entire the end of the world is coming and so the punk element uh, it represents the more modern reactionary uh, vibe towards again that uh, millennial fever that the the end times are coming and so there are really two different reactions to the same kind of thing one has got there very slowly and slowly crumbling and it's about the inevitability of what's going to occur and the the ennui of their state whereas the punks are trying that one last kind of blowout that one last party at the end of time essentially so they're really at, at the opposite ends of this this thing which is this dying world because often people get confused by what the punk in gothic punk really means and it, the punk is about extremity and about about you know fighting against the establishment in whatever form that establishment takes and fighting against it can happen in many ways it doesn't mean just go around like you know punks who are you know anarchy in the uk style yeah um, i agree 100 percent and it's interesting how when you get to the new world of darkness, you see those punk elements start to fade, uh, replaced by a, a lot more of those gothic mm. elements. Uh, in particular, it's interesting to see that Vampire the Requiem is taglined as the uh, a storytelling game of gothic horror. It's modern gothic horror, I believe. The, you, you're right when you say that the punk element has died off because I think one of the things that had to be accepted and that White Wolf accepted when they they wrote Requiem is that they couldn't really riff off that you know the millennium is coming you know Y2K and all those things that have been building up for that they were working towards and they could really play off and I think if anything Requiem's modern gothic uh, is if anything even closer now to to being truly uh, dystopian and more towards the kind of Blade Runner style dystopia because it's now that slow march into this this future and this future is still you know there's the the ennui the elders have of going into this future but to them it's more of the same and for the for the youth it's more that they're scared of going on into a future that's going to be no different to their past and especially with how quickly technology is progressing we're we're always at we already can see some of the future coming and the idea of we don't want to lose that to the the ever pervasive kind of elders of our past we want something new but Mm. it mostly won't happen i think that's where the dark element is uh, the gothic element and even worse is that maybe all this moving into to the future isn't going to make things better you know we're still going to have these 
crumbling cities. And if I was to describe the difference, if I was to if I was to paint a picture of two cities from Vampire the Requiem and Vampire the Masquerade, Vampire the Masquerade for me, if I was to take the same city, even if I was to take Manchester, which I've run many games for, Manchester and Vampire the Masquerade is is Victorian red brick buildings and also old crumbling churches and in amongst that, you know, concrete city blocks of you know the um, from 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, and the, in these tall concrete blocks, you would also have your anarchs and there'd be like or, or or similar kind of punkish elements would be would be there and you have that very that that con- you have that form of contrast. Whereas I would paint the same, I would paint a different picture for Requiem, which is where you contrast the old red brick buildings and what churches remain, and you remove those concrete buildings, and you you re you uh, reclad them now in steel and glass, and they're both oppressive, they're both dark, but the feel of the two is very different. I think one is one is more Big Brothers watching you than the other. Yeah. Now, Chris, you touched on something which I was going to bring up later. There's actually a reason why I picked the pyramid as this week's secret frequency. Now, atmosphere is mm. is huge for horror and especially gothic literature. And one of the best ways to build that atmosphere is with buildings. Exactly what you were describing. Uh, the reason why it's called Gothic Literature is because mm. the original writer of the Castle of Toronto, I can't remember the name of at this point in time, he named it Gothic Literature because he had a, a respect and fondness of the old Gothic churches, uh, which in fact, as most people know, uh, they had the very tall windows just to let more light in uh, and to make them brighter. But it has a very uh, unique mm. and uh, peculiar construction style. So beyond yes. that, we've been talking a little bit about vampire here and the kind of the evolution that we've seen uh, going from first edition up to Vampire the Requiem, which is a separate game, but but changes things definitely. Uh, now, Werewolf going from first edition Apocalypse and moving up to Werewolf Forsaken, uh, while not commonly seen as as gothic in nature, has definitely changed drastically. Uh, as we remember in Apocalypse, there is the, yes. the ongoing war between the, the worm and the wild, and uh, Gaia, the earth itself, is at stake. Now, with Werewolf Forsaken, they removed that, that instant conflict, which I think leaves a, a lot of storytellers a little bit confused as to uh, how they're supposed to approach it. But Forsaken takes a similar theme of corruption and decay, but just makes it more subtle. Now, rather than the uh, servants of the worm building mm. factories everywhere, there is a, a subtle pollution of the mortal world coming in from the spirit and commonly it's up to the the uratha the werewolves uh to create a balance and and stop that corruption from occurring well it's more it's more than that and if anything i think it's it, it represents um 
a better it's a better representation of maybe some of the things that that werewolf the apocalypse is maybe going down the line of um the if there's a buzzword to use what that describes werewolf the forsaken um which i've had to use in some about the subtle corruption from the spirit world into our world but it's also about how mm -hmm. our world can subtly corrupt the spirit world and that creates feedback loops and to explain the word sustainability within a in a uh, with regard to the modern world the is that if you want to do something uh something that can benefit you uh, economically it is it is designated sustainable if you can do that without causing a loss uh in your social environment or in your environmental uh environment and so you know in other words to be sustainable you can gain you can gain in one area without really diminishing the others and i think wealth of the forsaken really highlights that because you're trying to keep all these things in balance you're trying to keep keep the spirit world the mortal world in balance and you want to improve your territory i mean that's the key thing about if, if there's one thing that is key to playing forsaken and people really i think get lost on what they should, what the initial game focuses on and why it is is again it's a game of personal horrors you are a pack of wells looking after what is really a small patch of territory and so your worries are not about huge global corporations going out about polluting the seas and the oceans and and tearing down forests you're about that guy down the road who is coming back week after week fly tipping mm -hmm. who's just illegally disposing of trash on your land and how that is then influencing the spirit world and the mortal world in turn or how you know this crazy spirit that's kind of just passed through your territory has driven all the other spirits mad and then in turn has caused you know weird uh fires to happen in around the town where your characters are or um or, or accidents to occur or someone or for there to be increasing knife crime um you know it's it's about that's that's how I, that's how i play forsaken anyway i've had the joy of running four sessions but that was my whole idea it's about territory and it's very different to i, I would say it's it's a it's a it's definitely a smaller scale game to forsaken but you're, you're telling kind of a similar story hmm. it's just yeah. the scale of the story you tell them now, uh, moving on from that, even, we have Mage, which I feel that uh, Mage of the Ascension was really good at keeping those very punk elements itself. Uh, it, was a, it was a game about libertarians, basically. And then, yeah. as we go on to Mage the Awakening, we have these, these new Gnostic elements, this new, very mysterious world to explore, and... Personally, I'm a little hesitant to call it uh, to call it Gnosticism, Gothic itself. But it, it does provide a very interesting place to tell such Gothic stories. Mm. Uh, these these characters, these mages, are going into the unknown, yes. and the opponents that they're facing are almost always more powerful than them, and have existed for for aeons. Mage Ascension is about postmodernism, really. 
I mean, yeah, it's it's hard. You know, you you've got these groups rebelling against the mm-hmm. modernistic ideal of like you know a global world, and also old major ascension initially before you got towards say after before a revised came out and a lot of the books later and revised you'd see the shift towards what they what they've really presented in awakening um away from this idea of it was about magic versus science and it's more about freedom versus control now major the awakening from the outset is about freedom versus control and about power versus uh, about well it's about hubris you know in that sense because you have these cool powers and not going down that route um and so it's gothic in that sense because it's you are you are so capable of being the tools of your own demise um the other thing in mage the awakening i've noticed um that i highlighted when someone asked me about mage the awakening and they'd played mage the ascension i explained to them that the free council if the free council had accepted there's a line in in the awakening book that says the free council wanted liberty not te- uh, not technocracy because they were offered to join the seers of the throne so i see mage the awakening actually as a alternate universe to mage the ascension where in mage the ascension the the exarchs fully closed mm. the cage of reality and so totally rewrote history in doing so and got rid of the orders and everything and the only remnants of magic that persisted were the traditions whereas in Major the Awakening the Free Council obviously rebelled and didn't want technocracy and so the cage of reality is imperfect and the orders still exist and the Free Council whereas in, whereas in Major the Ascension the technocracy uses science to control the world that is their tool in Mage the Awakening, the Free Council realizes that even though the cage of reality uh, cuts them off from the supernal realms and the powers it gives them, the the cage of reality itself can be has rules rules and powers that they can manipulate, which never existed before when the Exarchs came to power, and they can use those against the Exarchs. So that's my view on how the two games connect together. Well, Chris, um, I know something you really want to discuss is. Uh... How can you bring in some of the, uh, I want to say, action-packed kind of ideas to uh, to the more gothic storytelling of the New World of Darkness? Uh, because there's definitely people that enjoy looking at uh, the kind of, I don't know, I want to say epic battles to uh, to gritty street punk that you might find in the, uh, yeah. in the Old World of Darkness. And they kind of miss that when they look at the new stuff. So uh, why don't you discuss that a little bit? Um, <laughs> where would I begin with that? The the first thing I would do always, if you are going to go down a route of playing a game which is uh, that is at a very high scale or at least a high tier, so your characters, if they're involved in very high action kind of stories, they will have a lot of influence on the world. I would still start with with elements of the stories um, where they are rooted very firmly in the mundane and so you make those stories about their preparations before going into these high action adventure phases of the story that way you have a sense of where they are within 
the world. And you then can also see how their actions have consequences either way, what sacrifices they make before they go into these uh, operations and what reactions there are afterwards. I mean, it's actually really, I would say it's not difficult to do high action adventure in a gothic horror setting. The important thing is, is to remember that there are always consequences and that is what where you can drive in the gothic and the personal horror is that it doesn't matter if they're facing down some you know demon from the outer outer reaches and it's been terrorized the entire city block and the only way to take it out is to blow up the entire city block that's fine but always remember what are the consequences of those actions and that that will magnify the horror that they've been up against and mean that the horror has repercussions and even has uh, will eventually in some way corrupt the the people that have been fighting against it. I mean that's one of the key features of I would say gothic horror um, storytelling is the this the pervasive idea of some form of corruption, however it manifests. That's where I would start. Um, then the type of stories um, I would go for this kind of style. I don't know. I would I. I would say one of the best kind of films that would kind of be best recast in New Order Darkness is a film, say, like Ronin. Um, it, it's, it's full of it's full of gunfights and car chases, but still, it's it all takes place in with really horrible cars going through really bad winding streets in some horrible bit of Europe and. It still feels gritty and and uh, and modern, and it, it kind of just pulls it back and and um, makes it feel more tangible rather than just you know one uh, a witty one-liner Arnold Schwarzenegger style before you you blow up the thing that has multiple eyes and tentacles. That's that's not really gothic. That doesn't that isn't gothic horror. I think you can you can um, you can still have action, but it's it's presenting it in the right manner. I would say. Why would you think on that one, Mike? No, I think that was a good place to end. Actually, just kind of trail off. <laughs> Went pretty well uh, with no planning. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right, all right. I'm yeah. calling it. So. That was great. Cool. Yeah, it was. So, if you'd like to uh, get in touch with us here at Darker Days Radio, you can shoot us an email over at darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. If you want to get more episodes, uh, definitely subscribe through iTunes. And you can also look at uh, episodes beyond the previous 20 if you go to darkerdays.tk and check out our episodes there. Or you can also uh, download a torrent uh, over at Legit Torrents for the Season 1 episodes. And actually, uh, Season 2 will eventually be a torrent uh, pretty soon. Uh, Darker Days is also on Facebook, facebook.com slash darkerdaysradio. And we're also on twitter.com slash darkerdaysradio. Um, and I would say if you know, if people want to chat about this episode and other ones, they could always go over to the World of Darkness News, which uh, wadnews.net, which is a community for the mm-hmm. online game. But there is a little part of their forum, which is our world, which is the you'll find it under um, not the sewer uh, underground radio, and I guess people can discuss yep. 
previous episodes there, ask questions, suggest things that we can talk about, any secret frequencies, or just tell us if we're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. That's it. Uh, this is Mike signing off. And this is Chris going back to hell. All right.